So that's what it's about. It's training people who may never go to college to get into the workforce with great skills and great degrees. That's how I try to break through politics. As my high school football coach in Gainesville, Florida used to tell me, he said, excuses only satisfy those who make them. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. This episode of In the Know features a session from our Congress this past fall. Martha Cantor, director of the College Promise Campaign, moderates a conversation about free community college with panelists Bernie Reinerson, trustee for the San Diego Community College District, F. King Alexander, president of the Louisiana State University, and Zakiah Smith-Ellis, the secretary of education for the state of New Jersey. This is part two of a two-part conversation. We posted part one last week if you want to catch up. 27 years since the Long Beach Promise started, it's now been mandated for 40 million people in the state of California to copy what Long Beach did. And, you know, I, I hate to simplify it down to this, but it, it, as my high school football coach in Gainesville, Florida, used to tell me, he said, excuses only satisfy those who make them. By that, I mean that superintendents talk with other superintendents, community college presidents talk to other community college presidents, university presidents talk to other university presidents. Are your presidents in, in your community colleges, do they know that you're superintendents? I'm not talking about just seeing them at Rotary at the, at the lunch table. I mean, are they working with your superintendents and are they working with your local four-year institution president? Do they know each other? Are they working together? Are they talking every 10 days about things, experiments they can do together to make it better, to grow the number of local kids? We started the, the Capital Area Promise last year to try to duplicate. We're a long way from where we were in Long Beach. This is in Baton Rouge. And one result is that we accepted and grew by 13.6% of local Baton Rouge kids that went to college. It's, it, it's not rocket science. It's about do they know, are you working together with your other educational leaders? Do they even know them? And I'm not talking about Lions Club, Kiwanis Club. I'm talking about, do they pick up the phone and say, I have an idea. Do you think the three of us can get together to figure out how to do it this summer to make it work? That's how it works. And so I, excuses only satisfy those who make them. And if they're not working together, I call them on it. Say, do you even know the name of your superintendent? Ask your president or your chancellor. Martha, if I could add to that. Uh King brings up a really good point about communication, and it's more than just superintendent to chancellor and college president, it's trustees to school board members. And it's, it's been very important to the success of our promise is that we, we work very closely with our school board members, trustee to, to board member to board member. So unless your K-12 school board members are bought into the promise, you start right away with, with a problem in, in getting cooperation of the superintendent and whatever. We do joint meetings of, between our boards. The Promise program is on the agenda every year when we do the joint meeting, but it's much more than that. You know, we, we communicate with them and say, hey, you know, here's what's going on with the Promise. Can you help us with fundraising? Uh, because they have a whole uh, you know, area of community contacts that trustees may or may not have, but working together board member to board member in the same way that King is saying with administration to administration is key to a success of a promise program. Did you want to say something else, King? No, I'm just worried about Alabama a week from Saturday. That's okay. who we play. Um, the, the other point I was going to add to this conversation is government as well. 
and I think uh, Los Angeles Valley College is in the audience. And I went to visit there, and they announced uh, about two months ago uh, a, an investment from the county in their Family Resource Center to actually provide dollars to expand the wealth of the center because one thing they do is drop in childcare. Why do they do that? Because one out of every two community college students is a parent. So there are innovations everywhere and now they've added the promise to that which is really exciting for them. And I think part of what we forget in community colleges is the power of government, the local government, the mayor that you sat with King, or the county officials, the supervisors that actually made the City College of San Francisco Free College program happen uh, by figuring out some kind of financing strategy that worked. So there's a whole variety of resources that need to come to the table and I think you know the trustees can make those invitations and I think that does pay off in so many other ways. I know in that Family Resource Center, um, they're providing a social worker from county social services to come and talk to the students uh, who have special special needs that you know they they need um, uh, to address. So I think you know it is education all levels across those levels. It's government, business, it's philanthropy. Some of the promise programs have funders groups that now meet regularly to figure out not just with the community college local foundation, but with other funders that are interested in this wider ecosystem of uh, of promise that that is needing um, to really grow and is growing. And all your mayors would, they, believe me, that's easy. Your mayors all want to take credit for this. Let them. And, and, and just do it, and your mayors will jump in the bandwagon. They'll jump on the wagon, and they yeah. will let them, let them take credit for it. City council will do the same thing. Get it started, move it forward, and they will be right by your side claiming the credit for it. So what? This isn't, but that's a, they're easy. They're easy pickings on this one. So one thing I'd like to do is open it up to anyone that would like to come up to the microphone and ask a question of any of our experts up here. So we have somebody coming up now. Come on up. Say who you are, where you're from, and, and then certainly ask the question. My mother always told me ladies first, and the lady denied being first. So, <laughs> Mom, I tried. <laughs> I'm Bob Levy, I'm a trustee at Montgomery College in Montgomery County, Maryland, and I have a question for the panel about politics. Aren't you delighted? Our moderator began by saying this entire subject is very political, and indeed it is, and in my home state of Maryland, the question of free community college has been a big separator in the governor's race. Uh, and there's a lot of air between what one candidate is saying and what the other is saying. But what neither of them is saying, and I want to put this to the panel, is this, that the vast majority of dollars that could ever be spent on free community college will go to people who are members of minority groups or who were not born in the United States. This doesn't get said but it gets muttered about and it's very much in the conversation quietly. And with all due respect, Dr. Alexander, you say we should shave blame, a shell of blame. Blame is what politicians have for breakfast, so good luck to that. I'd like the panel to comment on specific political strategies to try to sell the idea of free community college in the face of the truth about where those dollars would be spent. Well, 
as a trustee in a uh, community that has a Republican mayor and a Democrat uh, city council, um, we have politics like everywhere else in the country. But what I like to do when I talk about the Promise program is talk about the workforce and the local economy and bringing more students into our community colleges who will be trained to go into the workforce. And that's the benefit of the Promise program is training more students who may never had an opportunity or even thought they could go to college. I sat with one of our Promise students at our fundraiser a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and she was a young um, Filipino, Filipina uh, from uh, one of the urban areas of San Diego. And she told me, you know, I never thought I would go to college. My parents never went to college, but my high school counselor told me about the Promise program and told me I should apply. And then I got the grant, and now that I'm here and being supported and, and getting excited about studying, she wants to become a chemical engineer, transfer to UCSD, and go into the cosmetics industry. But this is a young 19-year-old woman who never dreamed of going to college if it wasn't for the Promise program. And um, we don't have any politics in New Jersey, so I'm not sure <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> and I see several of my New Jersey folks here. Um, no, so I appreciate the question because just for context, I started my job seared in my brain March 5th of this year. And the governor started January 16th of that year. And so I was kind of late as one of the cabinet members. I was one of the later folks in there. And the budget was released the following week and hearings started right there and after. So I was thrust in uh, and having to make all those connections with different legislators. I'm not from New Jersey, uh, selling free community college to a group of folks who I will say was not their original idea. Um, so, and, and so uh, that was a very interesting experience. Having said that, I do think what was really, has been convincing to people is the, the conversation about the economic kind of imperative. Um, and I will add another kind of politics in there that you didn't explicitly bring up, but it's kind of on the flip side, and it comes sometimes from some, not the likely sources, but sometimes some of our fellow higher education friends, which is, how dare you send those, those students to community college? They, they need to be going to our colleges, but instead you're making it free there and you're making it more enticing for them to go somewhere else that they shouldn't be going. And so my thing is, if there are colleges that you think people shouldn't be going to, we should know that and we should you know, not have them. But I think every public college that we have in the state should be a place where we're proud to send students to. And so if that's the case, then we have, a big, we have bigger fish to fry. Um, but the, the, and I've said that in meetings to people before, like we need to be proud. Like, community colleges exist, there are students there. I think an uh, old colleague of mine said, why did you, you know, it's like a bank robber, why did you uh, rob the bank, because that's where the money is, this is where the students are, right? And this is where those students are, that's why we need to focus on um, making this, this uh, commitment for them. Um, and I will also channel an argument that I haven't made as explicitly, but I think somebody like a Sarah Goldrick Robb would make, which is actually by making community college free for all, knowing that there are some students that are more likely to go there, but making it a universal program, you get the benefit of saying that it can benefit, you know, higher income families, students who come from, you know, different kinds of communities uh, who may be wanting to transfer, and by having a universalness of your program, you're able to kind of target without saying you're targeting. Um, we haven't, we are targeting 
targeting to low-income students in New Jersey, so we don't get to say that, but other folks, I think, have made that argument as well. And, and like New Jersey, we don't have politics in Louisiana. Um, <laughs> I've got a 500-pound tiger who lives on campus who has complete Obamacare from the School of Veterinary Medicine. Um, the, the politics side of this, um, the blame side of that is that as public educators, we shouldn't be blaming the other public educators. The politicians are going to blame each other. As, but as public educators and leaders, we don't need to be passing blame on other public educators, number one. Number two is the politics of this don't make it an affirmative action issue. Um, this, is, this is as much, this is not free. Free is the sexy term, but opportunity is the reality of it. This is about opportunity. And guess what coalitions come together on opportunity? The rural coalition, which is very conservative, and the urban coalition. So I've got a black caucus that loves this discussion, and I've got a rural caucus that loves this discussion because it's about opportunity. It's not about political parties. And don't make it into an affirmative action argument. Make it into an opportunity issue for the future economic development of your state and your region. And I just add a couple things that we've seen. We have a slide that we bring to some um, meetings, which is our ROI slide. And Noah Brown tells me, and he has this data for you, that for every dollar invested, the return is three to seven dollars in the community in terms of economic impact by getting these students more highly educated in these high demand areas of the workforce. You need more teachers. It's not only about advanced manufacturing. It's about a full range of what the state and the communities really need. The other ROI, and the mayor of Baltimore said it so articulately when she launched the Baltimore Promise. She said, we have a safety problem in this region. And we want more highly educated people. We want the Baltimore Promise because we want to reduce crime. So that's another one. And a third one, and I'll say one last one, a third one is healthcare. Um, more educated people use less healthcare and are healthier and happier. And happiness is the last one. So I think there's a range of arguments that you can use on the politics. You know, safety is one. I think, you know, certainly the experts have, have shared lots of perspectives on the politics. Um, and, you know, your elected trustees, your appointed trustees, that's the world you're in. So any help that we can give you on that score, we'll, you know, we will, we will do that. So next question. You can hear me. Uh, thank you. I'm Phyllis Gutierrez Kenny, and I'm from Washington State. I'm on the State Board for Community Technical Colleges. Uh, Dr. Applesteiner, you alluded to, you know, quit feeding on what isn't working and feed on what is working and make it better. And that's, that's a really, really good statement of not blaming each other, but doing what is right and making it expanded and make it good. But my question is, in working with higher ed and with students all over, is that, you know, we talk about the promised scholarship. We talk about tuition, tuition, tuition. But we don't talk about the wraparound services that the students need. Because it's one thing to get them enrolled. It's one thing to make them complete and get a job. And if they don't have the wraparound services that they need, the food, the transportation, money to pay the fees, et cetera, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. And we have too little of that in our institutions of helping them to do that. If you have any suggestions, 
But another thing I want to ask you all is, how do you define student success? I want to know, how do you define that? We hear student success continuously, but how do you define it? I'd appreciate it. And one last thing is that we, or you as trustees, and I was a trustee for 13 years and a state legislator for 16. So, you know, accountability, how trustees have an avenue of holding their legislators to accountability. So it's kind of all mixed in what I've told you here, but I really would like to hear what you have to say because you have some good thoughts. Thank you. I'll just, um, on the wraparound services, so I've mentioned two, two things, and I'm glad, um, I'm glad you explicitly brought that up. I think Bernie mentioned a couple of pieces about that, and Martha as well, um, and I know King is passionate about this piece. Uh, I would say that it's not either or in terms of focusing on tuition and fees or wraparound services. It's definitely a both and. When we did our kickoff meeting for our, com our um, Community College Innovation Challenge where Martha was there, we had our Commissioner of Human Services there to talk about the ways that that the Department of Human Services could support college students in um, some of those other needs that they may have and being able to connect students to social services to help with some of those um, additional uh, pieces. And I've been just very passionate about making sure that we're addressing food insecurity and a number of our campuses have food pantries and we've got to support that work as well as reduce the burden of tuition and fees. Um, so it's not one or the other, it's, it's definitely both of those things together and I think uh, we don't have to have in our minds that it's only, you know, helping students with this th at the expense of these other things. Unfortunately, sometimes when uh, we have kind of this be a political tagline and you get the credit for just making tuition free without some of the wraparound services, I think people, you know, those of us who work with students say, wait, what did you do? You did this one thing and then you left it hanging. You just kind of didn't continue. So it's up to all of us, I think, to kind of ask for that complete complete picture of um, things. And I think student success is really what students being successful for their, their, in, their, in the way that they have defined success for themselves. So when a student enrolls, they have a goal in mind of what they're hoping to accomplish. And we help them achieve their goal. So for some students, their goal is to, um, for most students, they think, I think most think, students think they're gonna graduate with a credential. And I think we should be honest that most students enroll in college because they think they're going to graduate with a credential. That credential, in many cases, they believe will help them get a better job. And, but we should know our students enough to know what is it that they are seeking from this so that we can help hold ourselves to success in the way that is true to what they are looking for for themselves. Hey everyone, I want to take a quick break to remind you all that the 50th annual ACCT Leadership Congress is coming up and we're looking for innovative presentations from ACCT member colleges and affiliates. Check out congress.acct.org for our call for presentations, to register, to find out about sponsorship opportunities and more. And now, back to the show. We took 16 cuts in nine years. And the first thing we had to cut and the last thing we had to cut were student services. All the services outside the classroom that help the students succeed. I, this is where you really have to hold your state legislators accountable and your state legislatures accountable. And that's why I started off by saying, they better maintain their effort. They better not keep doing what they're doing and you can't let them do that. You can't let them take credit for good programs, good promises while they turn around and cut your budgets. And then you get rid of the counselors, you get rid of the advisors, you get rid of all the people 
that help the most needy students who need higher education the most, they're the first ones that get cut out. And that's not a fault of the universities, it's not a fault of the community college, it's life. And, and it starts with those state legislatures. And they have been doing this for decades now. For every one year of increase we've all had in this room, you've probably had two and a half to three years of decreases since 1980. And you're, you're letting them off the hook, and that's the big problem. So hold them accountable. Put policies in place that, and that's why I've worked with these guys in Washington to make sure that, that states lose federal money if they keep doing what they're doing, and that's, that is the key. But hold them accountable because they're the ones causing those students not to have those services that we all know they need. Yeah, one, go ahead, next question. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Zeph Capo. I'm a trustee with the Houston Community College System and a proud community college graduate who also found his way to grad school and those other colleges mentioned. My two questions um, really revolve around the beginnings of the or the implementation of the Promise program. We have a uh, burgeoning Promise program in Houston. Um, part of the problem, you know, we started actually with OCR policies and Z-degree policies, but one of the things, the problems that we faced is all of the noise and really getting enough critical mass attention to bring in the appropriate people, the funders, the city folks, the this and that and another to like really focus and pay attention. So I'd be really curious as what some of the best practice strategies were for trying to build that critical mass in the beginning as you're going. And the second part of the question, are any of the Promise programs anywhere, uh, with all due respect to like the various fields, restricting um, the fields that are covered? Uh, for example, we have tremendous numbers of job openings in particular skilled areas in our community, and my main focus is ensuring that my neighbors and their kids actually get credentials that lead to real jobs where they can feed themselves. And if we have to pick places to start, I'd be really curious to hear if anybody has some pros and cons about starting with that pathway alignment where we know that those jobs are in those particular areas are the ones that get covered first. Thank you, and, and congratulations on getting started in Houston. Uh, it, it will pay off and you'll see uh, results. Your uh, best practices, one of the things that I, I wanted to mention is include your students' voice in how you talk about the Promise. Don't just be trustees and administrators talking about the Promise program and your business leaders. Make sure that the students that you have in the, have in the Promise program uh, have a voice to your donors, to your community. And along that vein, when we recently did our big fundraiser, it was really led by student voices. We had students out in the lobby greeting the people as they came in. We had them up on the podium telling their stories about how the Promise program changed their lives. And when your community hears those stories, that's what's gonna move them to be supportive and to understand the value of a Promise program. You can go to our website and go to our Promise program and see some great videos where our students talk about what it means to them. So we do a lot of that student voice. Um, that I think is, is you know, an important. Now your other aspect about 
should you limit it to certain career areas? I think that's the story of Promise programs across the country, in that we all do it a little bit differently. You have to be responsive to your community and to your donors, and uh, design a program that works in your community. Uh, it, it's still going to be a Promise program, and it's still going to do great things for students. Can I just say about, uh, Arkansas does that. So you can look at their program and they have some different things. Now I will tell you there are pros and cons to that approach. I don't know if there's anybody here who can speak personally to the Arkansas thing and I think they're in the beginning phases of doing that. But one of the challenges is how do you let the students know what that it is and do students know when they're coming in exactly what they're going to major in if you were undeclared at first and then you choose a non-covered major you know how what does that mean in terms of implementation were you covered if you were undeclared are you only covered if you declare at the beginning um, what does that mean for people who really don't know and are trying to take some general education to transfer um, which wouldn't be a bad thing I think um, and so they're just some naughty questions the other piece that I think you, you should just kind of think about a little bit is um, and this also is the case with like a let me think about how I say this since this is a podcast and it'll be shared more broadly. Um, if we think that people are, are going into majors where they're not likely to be successful in the workplace, is the answer to deny them of paying for the education? Because they're going to pay for it one way or the other, right? So they're, you're not closing down the program. You're just making sure that they don't get any scholarship money to go there. So that means that they're going to pay more for those programs where you're saying the work outcomes are actually less you know, so you know what I mean? So just I think our instinct is always to subsidize the people that are going into the higher paid professions. But if you're actually going to be in a higher paid profession, you either if you think the program is bad and people shouldn't be going in there, we should just ask ourselves, why are we offering the program? Um, and if you're talking about trying to use a scholarship to get people to go into a more highly paid field, it'd be like giving lawyers special you know, scholarships or people that are going on to Wall Street special scholarships instead of those that are going into social work. And I just think maybe it should be the other way around. So just be thoughtful about that. And, ju and just one comment about the noise, I, I, and I sympathize with you in a big place like Houston. You almost have to pick it off in pieces. Um, one of the great assets to Long Beach, even though it had 700,000 people, um, there are 38 cities in Los Angeles. Los Angeles was nothing but noise. They left us alone in Long Beach. And we just quietly worked together. And because they left us alone, and there was just nothing but noise in Los Angeles. <laughs> and, and we were able to do these things because we identified a core group, a community that was willing to do it. And if you can identify a community in the Houston area, that can set an example for everybody else in Houston and an expectation, then 15 years from now, it may be state legislation that says everybody needs to operate like your own Long Beach in Houston does. But I, I do, I, the noise is a real issue. It couldn't happen in Los Angeles, but it could happen in Long Beach. Well, it actually did happen in Los Angeles a couple years ago. So Mayor Garcetti has been able to work with the Chamber of Commerce. And I think one of the, one of the um, sort of pearls of your question is, you know, who are the, who are the most, uh, who are the best people to bring others together? So in some of the Promise programs, it's the head of the Community Foundation. In others, like Detroit, it's the, the Chamber of Commerce, or Los Angeles, it's the mayor, or, or Baltimore, as I mentioned. But part of it is you know, to think a little bit about the convening, so that when you do bring them together, if it is the chamber, would the chamber really want you to restrict to five areas? 
um, you have to have that conversation and it takes time and it takes not only it takes the community college leadership at the table, as I said, government leadership, business leadership, and philanthropy. And I think if you can convene that in a smaller group, kind of map this out. You know, we do have states that are more universal. I think you know Hawaii is the most universal state. It's for two, uh, you know, it's for for full-time and part-time students. It's for anyone in Hawaii. It's for. Um, you know, it's, it's universally because they really want to grow the entire state. Um, whereas, say, Arkansas, Kentucky, um, Indiana to some extent are more targeted. The work ready programs that are promised programs in high demand fields. That might be a starting point. I do say you need to get started somewhere. So it's better to start than to sit back and say we can't do a promise. Um, and if that's the politics of the space, you know, I think you want to get started in some reasonable way. But I think. Everyone needs to really um, give some thought to, we're all in early stage of this. This is, you know, this is a long-term uh, strategy to actually deliver opportunity, as, as um, King said, to the widest number of people to get that prosperous economy booted, to get the social infrastructure more stable, and to get you know, the civic leadership that we would want to see in the country. Um, next question. Uh, Bill Kelly, Harper College, Illinois. I just want to touch base again, again on that. There's an increasingly prevailing argument, pushback for free community college. And a powerful argument we've come up with, this is my president came up with this, is in our promise program, you earn the right to, to get a, you earn it by being college ready. You earn it by having a limited number of absences in high school. You earn it each semester by not getting D's and F's and staying on track so that you will get your degree or credential in three years. So that's, I think that's a way to, another way to, 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 to switch that argument. I think that argument is always gonna be with us and we need multiple ways to address it. Thanks. And Bill, could you talk just for a minute for everyone about what you did with Rotary Club? So uh, this is exciting. We, we actually led a uh, grant with the Rotary Foundation to fund uh, scholarships for non-traditional students, 24 years and older, for applied sciences and credentials like an HVAC, welding certificate, automotive mechanic, those types, based on the Promise program. So it's and it's and we we and same thing, limited number of absences. You have to be stay on track each semester, and you and you continue on. We started it with our Rotary Club. We brought it to the Rotary Foundation, and we just funded in the last couple of weeks an inbound international grant from the Rotary Foundation to take it to the next level. My hope is that we get the buy-in from the mayors now in our community to make it sustainable. So I think when you talk about implementing it, we can start small and build it up. There's all sorts of ways. Thanks, Martha. Thank you. And I think this will be our last question. My name is Helen Faith. I'm uh, the Dean of New Student Transitions at Lane Community College in Oregon. And um, I just wanted to speak to um, a trend that I find kind of troubling with Promise programs, and that is that they are often last dollar programs when it comes to tuition support, which ultimately um, greatly disadvantages students, basically dis uh, dilutes the uh, 
the value of a student's Pell Grants and their state need grants, et cetera. Um, and we are seeing that in Oregon as well. Um, to illustrate what this looks like at Lane Community College specifically, about half of our, um, of our Oregon Promise students are zero EFC students, they're maximum Pell students, and about half of them are no Pell students, and there's very little in, in between. Um, about three times the benefit flows to the students with, um, with no Pell eligibility versus those with Pell eligibility. So basically, in essence, our program is giving 75% of the dollars to students who aren't low income. Um, while there are benefits overall to having broad public support for the program, and certainly are, there are benefits to low-income students of seeing college as something that's attainable, I just wanted to caution against the tendency to go for last-dollar programs, and I also kind of wanted to get your read on that. Okay, well, thank I, you. Do you want to just say about that? This goes to what King said initially about the federal government not supporting. So as you know, because you're right in the thick of it in Oregon, this is um, extraordinarily expensive for a state to do without federal support. And um, so that really, I don't know of a state other than actually Oregon, which has a component of it that's like, you know, still some money for low-income students. I think there's a $500 component. I don't know of a state that has done this statewide not doing it last dollar because it's just extraordinarily expensive to, to do it otherwise. So much so that you wouldn't be able to do it and you would just be stopped in your track. So I actually think there's a very salient and important policy discussion that if you read Sarah Goldick Rob or whatever that is, it, we're having here about is it better to have a universal program that everybody understands that they could go to knowing that many of the dollars may go to people who don't need it um, or, or is it better to kind of, kind of stick with what we have as a status quo? I would argue the status quo doesn't work because it's a complicated mess. Our program in New Jersey has an income cap of $45,000, and we still have people that say the same thing that you do about the people that are making $44,000 in New Jersey who don't need it. And so I, I would just say at some point, you know, the students that are in college are probably more privileged than the students that are living on the street, and shouldn't you be doing homelessness programs instead of giving them the money, which has been an argument for some people about, you know, I think sometimes that comes up, why are we giving money to people that are going to college anyway? They're likely to, you know, have a better success for their life. They should just take out a loan. We really need to put this. So I think we should temper a little bit. Again, we don't talk about free high schools and the fact that people that go, or that are in some very nice school districts don't have to pay tu tuition for their high schools when they could afford to. And so I just think if this is a public benefit, it's a public college, um, and I had the same kind of reservations that you do right now, especially when you wish that new money would be spent on other things. Uh, but I can tell you that if we all went to our legislatures and said what we really want is a program that only you know, goes to the very low income in the state that pays for their living costs, they wouldn't be for it. And, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't actually mean that in a bad way at all. I just mean that there are some things that are more likely to garner support. So being realistic about what is the best possible thing that we could get to garner support that also has the benefit of creating a clearer message to students so that they're more likely to attend. And I mean, we don't, I don't know how much, how upset we are about Social Security going to millionaires when they paid into the system or things like that, or people being able to get Medicaid even though they probably could pay for private insurance on their own sometimes, or people who go to the library and take out books that could otherwise pay, or people who go to public parks that should pay an admissions fee and we didn't charge them even though they could afford to pay one. So I just think, again, this is where I was saying the psychology of it, we should think. The politics of it would be a bloodbath in every state that's doing it. And I don't have a good answer, but you're right. But leaving, the, the Legislators' biggest worry is that did they leave federal money on the table? Yes, from a state perspective, 
Did they leave federal money on the table and they didn't never want to get blamed for that? And there are a couple out there that left Medicaid on the table, but that's because they're running for national offices. But the second they get out of that office, the Medicaid gets picked up like that. They're not going to leave federal money on the table. And Bernie. Go Zacchaeus, because you're absolutely right on. Uh, the road to the perfect promise program is a long one. And I think uh, with the vision that President Obama laid out to us, it got us all inspired and it got it started with the work that Martha is doing uh, at the Promise College Promise and the work that we're all doing in this room to do Promise programs of all shapes, sizes, and colors. Uh, just, I th I'm just so proud of the community college uh, movement and, and how we've embraced this. But uh, we've got a long ways to go and there's gonna be lots of politics and lots of uh, <coughs> battles ahead of us and, and that's where we need to get is where we can talk like you're talking, uh, where education and going to a park should both be free. Um, that's, that's the vision that we've gotta go to uh, and we're all on that path in different ways and, and uh, you know, I pray that someday that we're gonna get there. Any last word? Okay, I think my last word is it's all about impact. And I think that is what is going to sell the wider community, whether it's the business community, if we can show that the GPAs are higher, if we can show that the completion rate is going up, if we can show that students are prepared for work and are working, and especially, you know, states like Virginia, state of Florida, you know, actually looking at earnings after graduation or after you get that credential, that workforce training credential, um, how these students are doing and what they are earning and giving back to the community in all manner of health and, and, and earnings and other ways to monitor the, in, the return on investment. That's what it's all about. So I just urge you to think about impact at the beginning, you know, and the evaluation and tracking the students and seeing each part of the promise for being what it is to actually produce that, that impact that we all want. Because high school is not enough. We know that. Um, and we've got to get the disconnected adults back into the system. We have 60 million out there that had a little college or no college. And if we can get them more educated, plus the youth to college, we'll be a country in which we can all take pride. This has been part two of a two-part conversation about free community college. Be sure to subscribe so you're notified when we post new episodes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.